and our children are released for Children's Church. I'd like you to open up your Bible, if you would, to Ephesians, the fifth chapter. I'm going to be reading verses 15 through 21. Now, I'm going to ask you to keep your Bible open like I so often do uh, throughout this message, because I'm going to be reading our text now, and then I'm going to be rereading it again during the body of our message. So let me go ahead and read this Uh, to you. Ephesians chapter 5, beginning with verse 15 down to verse 21. Be very careful then how you live, not as unwise but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Therefore do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Do not get drunk on wine which leads to debauchery Instead, be filled with the Spirit. Speak to one another with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Sing and make music in your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Let's pray. Thank you for your word, Father. Thank you. We believe that your word is living and active. We believe that you have a message for us today. And so we're asking, Holy Spirit, that you might speak and that we might listen, that we might apply what we discover. And may I truly be hidden behind the cross of Christ, that only Jesus may be seen and heard. We pray this in his name. Amen. Amen. Now today we conclude our two-part series on the Holy Spirit that I've entitled the third member of the Trinity. Now you might remember last week we focused on the divine nature of the Holy Spirit. Plus we talked about some of the Holy Spirit's many doings. My text was John the 16th chapter verses 5 through 15. And here is our theme. Without the Holy Spirit the lost would remain lost and truth would remain hidden. Last week's four points were as follows. First, the Holy Spirit is a divine person. Now that means He's God just as much as God the Father and God the Son are. Number two, the Holy Spirit was promised. Jesus promised to send the Holy Spirit after His leaving. Third, the Holy Spirit convicts. The Holy Spirit convicts the world, not not the child of God here, but the unsaved, 
He convicts the world with regard to sin, righteousness, and judgment to come. And finally, the Holy Spirit proclaims truth that glorifies Christ. All of that truth that we're talking about is found in God's Word, the Bible. I concluded that message by giving you a little homework, and I, I trust that many of you completed that. I ask you to list five means the Holy Spirit has aided you since you became a Christian. Five means. I also hope that you thank God for how blessed you are to have the Holy Spirit indwelling you as a believer. For you know, in Old Testament times, only a choice few had the Holy Spirit indwelling them, and the Holy Spirit could be removed just as easily as the Holy Spirit was given. That's why in that psalm that we sang today, David said, Take not thy Holy Spirit away from me. Because he saw, when the Holy Spirit was removed from King Saul, saw how he spiraled. Remember, he even went to see a witch, the witch of Endor. Can you imagine how different the world would be if the Holy Spirit had not been given at Pentecost? Can you imagine that? The Christian faith would be impossible to live. You think it's hard to live now? Don't have the Holy Spirit. It becomes impossible. Also, I question whether the world in which we live in would even exist. But if it did exist, I'm sure that it would be vastly different than any of us here are presently accustomed to. For sure, evil would be much more prevalent than it already is. And you think it's prevalent now? Without the Holy Spirit, it'd be worse. Much worse. Now in verse 18 of today's text, Paul admonished the church, he said, to be filled with the Spirit. Be filled with the Spirit. Unfortunately, some Bible teachers or groups within the church have hijacked that biblical mandate of being filled with the Spirit to mean something that God never intended it to mean. Therefore, some well-minded Christians are fearful of what being filled with the Spirit means, while others are so jaded because of false teaching they don't even care to listen. So to prevent further confusion, I'd like to set the record straight of what being filled with the Spirit means. Now, this is our theme. God has all of the Christian that is filled with the Spirit. There it is. Now, we're not saying they're perfect by any stretch of the imagination, for perfection cannot and will not occur in this life. Amen? Amen. So what are we saying? What are we saying? We're saying Spirit-filled Christians are surrendered or submitted fully to the Holy Spirit, that He's the one that is directing their lives. Thus, the Holy Spirit is the leading or controlling influencer. He is preeminent. In other words, the Holy Spirit has the most say in that person's lives. Rather than bowing to men or causes, Spirit-filled Christians, for the most part, bow to the Holy Spirit's leading. I said for the most part because they're not perfect. They're not perfect. So you got what I, what, what I mean here to be filled with the Spirit? If you don't, that's okay, because I'm going to be discussing that at length during the body of our message today. But the point is this. 
And this is what I want you to get. And I think this is what's lacking in the church today. I think this is the message the church needs to hear. At least this is the message the church has laid upon my heart. God desires all Christians to be spirit-filled. Every one of us. Every single one of us. So if that's God's desire for us, the question that should be on our minds is this. What exactly do spirit-filled Christians look like? What do they look like? That's a good question. In our text, Paul gives us three looks or snapshots of what spirit-filled Christians look like. So I want you to sit back. I want you to listen well, take good notes, because God desires that all believers be spirit-filled. All of us. At the end of this message... I'm going to ask you this probing question, so I want you to ponder it right now. Is the Holy Spirit preeminent in your life? Is the Holy Spirit preeminent in your life? Be thinking about how you might answer that question. Paul's first snapshot of a Spirit-filled Christian is this. Spirit-filled Christians pursue wise living. They pursue wise living. I'd like to go back and reread verses 15 through 17 of Ephesians chapter 5. So you follow along. I ask you to hold your Bible there. Hold your spot. Be very careful then how you live. Not as unwise, but as wise. Making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. So that first snapshot of a a spirit-filled Christian is they pursue wise living. Today's text, it jumps right in at the tail end of a section in which Paul shared some, some really rather pointed teaching with the church at Ephesus on unwise living. Now my Bible labels that lengthy section this way. Living as children of light. Basically, Paul would declare it unwise because he says that's not being Christ-like. We would be right in saying that unwise living is really unbecoming of a Christian. I'm going to be covering a good portion of that in our, in our next point, so I want you to bear with me. I'm even going to have us travel back to the fourth chapter and, and read many verses about that. Now, after sharing his rather pointed teaching on worldly or unwise living, Paul concludes this section by admonishing his readers to live wisely. In other words, to live wisely means to live contrary to the way the world is living, because the world certainly isn't living wise. Wouldn't you agree with that? I I hope so. That's why sometimes we feel like a, a round peg trying to fit in a square hole. You ever feel like that? I think all of that's good counsel for when Christians live unwisely. I want you to get this. God is not the one directing their paths. Instead, someone or something else is directing their path. And more than likely, you know who's directing their path? Self. At least that's true of me. When I get my eyes off God and His leading, it's me that's leading the path. And that's not correct. That's sinful. I think that's true of many of us. 
Consequently, unwise Christians find themselves falling prey too often, too often to many of life's traps and temptations. You might say unwise Christians experience more defeat from sin than victories. More defeat than victories. That's not true of spirit-filled Christians. I hope you understand that. That's not the desire God has for us. Oh, I can't win this battle. Why even try? Be filled with the Spirit. Are you getting that? Be holy because the Lord your God is holy. This is the calling He has for us. It's a high calling. And we're not saying Spirit-filled Christians are perfect. Occasionally they do slip and fall prey to, to life's many traps and temptations. But I think that you would agree it's a whole lot easier to live wisely with the Holy Spirit guiding your path than trying to live wisely by you or me leading our path. Wouldn't you agree with that? Applying Paul's teaching on wise living. We can safely make two assumptions as they relate to being spirit-filled. Here's the first one. Spirit-filled Christians pursue wise living by trying to make the most of every opportunity... Because the days are evil. That's like verbatim from the text. Now what that means is spirit-filled Christians, they understand better than most that Satan's forces of evil are working overtime in the world to wreak as much havoc as possible. Do you understand that? He's working overtime, hard. The spirit-filled Christians have partnered with God to try to take advantage of every ministry opportunity that God might bring their way. I say this to you. Sometimes ministry opportunities, they can come in the strangest of places. You ever notice that? Strangest of places. You find yourself anxiously waiting in a bank line. You've got somewhere to go. Then that person behind you begins a spiritual conversation, and you realize why you were being held up in that bank line. There's one. Or maybe you're engrossed in your work at your cubicle, and somebody comes over and starts kind of talking to you about the Lord and what's happening in their life. The truth of the matter is, when God has all of us, ministry opportunities can come just about anywhere. And here's the point. When they come, spirit-filled Christians are available. That's the important part. So I ask you this question. Have you made yourself available to ministry opportunities that God graciously brings your way? Truthfully, if you're surrendered or submitted fully to the Holy Spirit, God will bring many ministry opportunities your way. Plus, you're even find yourself praying for more ministry opportunities. Perhaps if few or no ministry opportunities are coming your way, you may have declared yourself unavailable. And when we declare ourselves unavailable, God looks elsewhere. He looks elsewhere. There's no question Paul practiced what he preached by seeking to make the most of every opportunity. I say that because the New Testament teaches time and time again that that Paul boldly ministered Christ no matter whatever circumstance he found himself in. As a result, God used him mightily even when Paul was in chains. And I say to you, my friends, God can do the same for you and for me with the Spirit's help if we seek to make the most of every opportunity, if we're available. 
So spirit-filled Christians pursue wise living by trying to make the most of every opportunity. They do so largely because they understand better than most that these days we live in are evil. Satan is alive and well, and and he's wreaking havoc in this earth. Applying Paul's teaching on wise living once again. A second and final assumption we can make is this. Spirit-filled Christians pursue wise living by seeking to understand the Lord's will. Now, it's been my experience that determining the Lord's will for our lives is one of the most difficult things that Christians struggle, that they, that they face. It's hard, especially a, a younger believer, trying to determine, what, what does God want me to do with my life? Some Christians can become so fearful of, of taking a wrong turn that they just stand still. Other Christians becomes, can become so uptight about determining God's will for their life that it virtually consumes them. And they can't think about anything else. That's all they focus on. I like what I once heard Dr. Tony Evans say about seeking God's will for your life. Now, I know there are some fans of Dr. Tony Evans, and I happen to be one of them, a fantastic preacher. He said this only t- as Tony Evans could say. Let me quote him. If you want to know God's will for your life, get to know God and His will will get to know you. Is that good stuff or what? Let me say that again. If you want to know God's will for your life, get to know God and His will will get to know you. Now, Dr. Evans' statement, it really makes two assumptions here. First, that God has a plan for our lives. And second, God's plan for our lives can be known. Now, do you believe that? God has a plan for your life, and you can know that plan? Now, if you don't believe me that he does, listen to what God said to the Jewish exiles that were living in Babylon through the prophet Jeremiah. Now, many of you know this verse. You might have committed it to memory. Jeremiah 29, 11. I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you a hope and a future. God likewise has plans for each of us. But don't expect God to reveal the whole plan He has for your life all at once. Isn't that what we want? Show me the whole plan, Lord. And fold that before my very eyes. You know what God often does, at least in my life? He shows me like one frame at a time. One little step at a time. If God revealed any more than that, I think at least what I would do, I would be prone to get off track, or more importantly, I'd probably jump ahead of God. I know where I'm going to go with this. I'm going to jump to the end of this. So he often only shows us one little frame at a time. So God has a plan for each of us as believers. But it's also true God's plan for believers can be known. Listen to what Bible commentator Dr. Warren Wiersbe said about discovering God's will. I'm quoting him because he said it much better than I could ever say it. He said, understanding the Lord's will suggests using our minds to discover and do the will of God. Too many Christians have the idea that discovering God's will is a a mystical experience that rules out clear thinking. But this idea is wrong and dangerous, he says. We discover the will of God as He transforms the mind 
And this transformation is the result of the Word of God, prayer, meditation, and worship. If God gave you a mind, then He expects you to use it. This means that learning His will involves gathering facts, examining them, weighing them, and praying for His wisdom. God does not want us to simply know His will. He wants us to understand His will. Now that's good stuff. God has given us a mind. You understand that? We're to use that. However, God has also given Christians the Holy Spirit, this is the important part, to transform their minds. The Holy Spirit, He does that work each time a believer reads, studies, meditates on scriptures, prays, fellowships with believers, worships, etc. The more a believer's mind is transformed, hear this now, the more a believer's mind is transformed, the more of God's will they grasp, and the more of God's will they grasp, the wiser they live. Did did you see that process? Let me say that again. The more a believer's mind is transformed, the more of God's will they grasp. And the more of God's will they grasp, the wiser they live. So how wise are you living? One thing's for sure, if you aren't regularly reading your Bible, regularly praying, regularly meditating on Scripture, regularly fellowshipping with believers, or regularly attending worship, I would say you're not living as wisely as you should. But not only do spirit-filled Christians pursue wise living. A second snapshot that Paul shares of a spirit-filled Christian is this. Spirit-filled Christians gain more victory than not over sin. More victory than not over sin. Now, while presenting this point, allow me to contrast Paul's teaching on unwise living versus the result of spirit-filled living. Once again, we're not saying they're perfect, but we are saying spirit-filled Christians gain far more victory over sin than defeat. If you question whether the Bible teaches that, maybe you do, let me share just one verse that makes that point. Galatians 5.16. Paul writes, So I say, live by the Spirit, so you will not gratify the desires of the sinful nature. Most of Paul's teaching on unwise living is found in the previous section of Scripture. And we're going to go back and read some of those. But Paul does share one such teaching in this section. Let me begin there. Let me read verse 18 of Ephesians chapter 5. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. Spirit-filled Christians gain more victory than not over sin. After contrasting unwise living with spirit-filled living, we rightly come to this conclusion. Spirit-filled Christians gain more victory than not over the sins of drunkenness and debauchery. Drunkenness and debauchery. Now, in case you don't know, that word debauchery is some big word, isn't it? It really uh, is a result of drunkenness. It's one of its painful or ugly side effects, you might say. Basically, debauchery refers to this, moral corruption. Some translations use the word dissipation. Maybe yours does. Now, here's what Paul was saying. And if you've struggled with alcohol in the past, or maybe you're struggling now, you you get this, believe me. 
While under the influence of alcohol, we may do things or, or say things we would never say or do otherwise. Because you know why? The alcohol is the one that is controlling us. The alcohol is the one that is calling all the shots. That's why Paul says to be filled with the Spirit. Because then the Spirit will be the one calling all the shots. He'll be the one controlling us. Now here's a Proverbs that shares two ugly results of drunkenness. Proverbs 20, verse 1. Wine is a mocker and beer a brawler. Whoever is led astray by them is not wise. Now, before we move on, let me say that the partaking of alcohol is not a sin in itself. It's not a sin in itself. But the Bible most certainly teaches that drunkenness is sin. There's no question about that. No question about that. However, if if you never drink, you'll never get drunk. You never drink, you'll never get drunk. Now, I want you to think about that. That's a, that's a great case for abstaining from alcohol altogether. You never drink, you'll never get drunk. And I'm one who used to abuse alcohol, so I understand this. Now, the further contrast Paul's teaching on unwise living versus the result of, of spirit-filled living, let me jump back in this book of Ephesians and read several uh, scriptures. Now, due to time constraint, I'm not going to spend a lot of time here, but I'd like to first of all read Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 25. So you might have to turn your Bible back a page maybe. Paul says, Therefore each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to his neighbor, for we are all members of one body. Now, keeping with our contrast, we can make this application from that verse. Spirit-filled Christians gain more victory than not over the sin of lying. Sin of lying. Now, you know the Bible teaches God hates a lying tongue? Do you know that? The Bible does teach it. There aren't too many things that the, the Word of God says God hates, but a lying tongue is one of them. Thus, it makes sense that spirit-filled Christians, you see, they seek to live as honestly as they possibly can with God's help. So spirit-filled Christians, they gain more victory than not over the sins of drunkenness, debauchery, which is moral corruption, and also lying. Now, keeping with our contrast of unwise living versus the result of spirit-filled living, what other sins do spirit-filled Christians gain more victory over than not? According to Ephesians, the fourth chapter, verses 26 and 27, spirit-filled Christians gain more victory than not over the sin of wrathful anger. Let me read that text for you. Ephesians 4, verses 26 and 27. In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry, and do not give the devil a foothold. Now, for instance, we, we do know that Jesus got angry at times, didn't he? He did. So his anger was certainly justified. For instance, you might remember Jesus got angry with the Pharisees, yet he didn't sin. Nonetheless, wrathful anger is always sinful. We read this in the first chapter of James, verses 19 and 20. My dear brothers, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become what? Angry. For man's anger does not bring about the righteous life that God desires. It's contrary, you see? It's contrary. Now let's quickly make four more contrasts that one wise living 
versus the result of spirit-filled living. Before I, I do so, let me first read Ephesians chapter 4, verse 28. You should have your Bibles open there. He who has been stealing must steal no longer, but must work, doing something useful with his own hands, that he may have something to share with those in need. So keeping with this contrast, we can make this application. Spirit-filled Christians gain more victory than not over the sin of stealing. The sin of stealing. Now, by the way, the prohibition of stealing, I hope you realize, is one of the Ten Commandments. You know that, right? But did you know that by prohibiting, I want you to hear this, by prohibiting stealing, God was also instituting the right of property ownership. Did you think about that? Because you can't steal something unless somebody else owns it, right? So that's what he's doing here. According to our text, when someone takes from another what is rightfully theirs, not only are they wrong because they took something that didn't belong to them, but they're equally wrong because they engage themselves in this activity that is really counterproductive. People should be engaging in something that not only benefits them, but also benefits society. And I say to you, stealing never benefits society because people take without giving anything in return. And continuing with our contrast, the one wise living versus the result of spirit-filled living, let me read two other scriptures. Ephesians 4.29 and Ephesians 5.4. I'm going to read 4.29 first. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. As we've been going through this, I hope the Spirit of God is pricking some hearts. That's what I hope. Ephesians 5.4 Nor should there be obscenity, foolish talk, or coarse joking, which are out of place, but rather thanksgiving. Keeping with our contrast, we can make this application. Spirit-filled Christians gain more victory than not over the sin of what I'm going to call unbecoming talk. Speaking from experience, because I used to have a very foul mouth before I knew the Lord. After allowing the Holy Spirit to clean up our talk, many of those unbecoming thoughts or, or, or phrases that were once so prominent in our speech will rarely even pop in our heads. You ever notice that? And then when one of those pops in your head, you say something like this. I haven't thought about that in years. Where did that come from? Where did that come from? Now let's review. We've said spirit-filled Christians gain more victory than not over the sins of drunkenness, debauchery, lying, wrathful anger, stealing, and unbecoming talk. Next, in keeping with this contrast of unwise living versus the result of spirit-filled living, we can also make this application. Spirit-filled Christians gain more victory than not over the sin of unbecoming behavior. When I read our proof, when I read our proof text, you'll discover that Paul gives us this big list of, of various types and, and forms of unbecoming behavior. Now let me Just read that scripture and allow the Spirit of God to work if He needs to, and then we're going to move on. Ephesians 4.31. Listen to this. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. 
Get rid of it. Don't, don't feed it. Get rid of it, the text says. Finally, let's read Ephesians 5.3. Let's read this one. But among you, there must not be even a hint of sexual immorality or any kind of impurity or of greed because these are improper for God's holy people. So keeping with this contrast of unwise living versus spirit-filled living, we can safely make our final application. Spirit-filled Christians gain more victory than not over the sin of sexual immorality. Sexual immorality. Now, this is a catch-all category that covers fornication, which is premarital sex. Homosexual relations, adultery, etc. Sexual morality, I say to you, was rampant in Paul's day. But I say to you that it's equally as rampant as today. And I think it's becoming rampant each and every day. Wouldn't you agree? Look look at the television set. Look what's bombarding our minds. Now when it comes to unwise living, I say to you, and I want you to hear this, and I'm speaking to myself. I think the church needs to hear this. Christians should be setting the example rather than going with the flow. Because the Bible was clear, hear me now, that Christ has broken the chains of sin that formerly bound us. They're broken. Simply put, that means as Christians, we ought to be living differently. But apart from the Holy Spirit, living differently is not possible. You see, without the Holy Spirit, the old self reigns supreme. But if we're filled with the Holy Spirit, we'll be experiencing far more victory over sin than defeat. And when that happens, our actions will be pleasing to the Holy Spirit rather than grievous. Now finally, Paul gives us a third snapshot or look of a spirit-filled Christian. Spirit-filled Christians bear certain evidences. They bear certain evidences. Now let me read verses 19 through 21 again of Ephesians chapter 5. Paul says, Speak to one another with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Sing and make music in your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. So this third snapshot is spirit-filled Christians bear certain evidences. But what I mean by bear is they manifest. They're visible. Thus believers that are truly spirit-filled manifest certain evidences. Now this is where we're going to do some personal evaluating to determine if we're spirit-filled or not. This is where we're going to ask ourselves these hard questions. According to Paul, the first evidence the spirit-filled Christians bear is this. They bear the evidence of joy. Joy. I say that because the text refers to singing and and making music in our hearts. And and those are, are actually byproducts of joy. Joy is a a fruit of the Spirit. I remind you, rejoicing is the choice that each and every one of us make or we don't make. We still make the choice. 
Spirit-filled Christians are good at choosing to rejoice, even when those circumstances dictate otherwise. They can do so because they hope in Christ rather than hoping in their situation or their circumstance. Remember what Paul said about rejoicing in Philippians 4.4? Remember that? Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again. Rejoice. And I remind you, Paul wrote Philippians while he was incarcerated for preaching the gospel. And he still made this choice to rejoice. Now certainly there are other ways, but Paul tells us in our text, one way that Christians manifest joy is by singing and making music in their hearts to the Lord. And I think many of you get this better than others. I think Ray gets it more than I do. His music is his gift. And when a person understands this, then joy is written all over their face. Now here's a question for you. What is written all over your face? Is it joy? It should be, right? It should be. Because we should be joyful no matter what we're facing. Because we have this great hope in Christ, right? But sometimes that's not the case. Sometimes that's not the case. So the first evidence spirit-filled Christians bear is joy. According to Paul, the second evidence spirit-filled Christians uh, bear or manifest is gratitude. That means they're going to be thankful people. They understand, uh, as James wrote, every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. So for the most part, would you consider yourself a thankful person? Are you a person who has joy on your face? Are you a thankful person? These are tough questions, aren't they? But pastor, you don't know what I'm experiencing. Well, what I do know is Paul was in jail, and he was joyful, and I'm speaking to myself here. This is the attitude we're supposed to have. If the Spirit is controlling our lives, this is the kind of attitude we will have. We will have. Finally, Paul shares a third evidence. Spirit-filled Christians bear the evidence of submission. By nature, man desires to elevate himself or herself. But when the Spirit truly has the reins of a believer's life, they practice submission just like Jesus Christ the Son practiced submission. Remember, He completely submitted Himself to the will of the Father. When believers submit to one another, they do so out of reverence to Christ. So here's another one of those hard questions. How submissive are you to others? How submissive? Now we said God has all of the Christian that is filled with the Spirit. We're not saying they're perfect, for perfection is not possible this side of heaven. What we're saying is this. Spirit-filled Christians are surrendered or submitted fully to the Holy Spirit to the point He directs their lives, to the point where the Holy Spirit is preeminent, that He's the leading, He's the controlling influencer in their life. In other words, the Holy Spirit is the one who has most of the say in their lives. Rather than bowing to men or causes, spirit-filled Christians, for the most part, bow to the Holy Spirit's leading. That brings us to that probing question that I ask of all of us in the introduction. 
Is the Holy Spirit preeminent in your life? Is the Holy Spirit preeminent in your life? I ask that. Now hear me. Because far too many Christians, at least in my experience, are content living well below God's desire or standard that He set. We would rather just ride and coach. That's the truth. And it bothers me. That bothers me. God says in His Word, be filled with the Spirit. Be filled with the Spirit. Now before we conclude, let me ask you a few more questions with respect to that probing question. We're not done here. I want you to think about this further. If the Holy Spirit was preeminent in your life, can you imagine how much wiser you'd be living? Can you imagine that? If the Holy Spirit was preeminent in your life, can you imagine how many more victories over sin than not you'd be experiencing? Instead of always falling prey. I'll throw in another here. If the Holy Spirit was preeminent in your life, can you imagine all of the evidence that would exist to convict you of being a Christian? If the Holy Spirit was preeminent in your life, can you imagine how much more of an impact that you would be making for God's kingdom? Now let's take that one step further. Can you imagine the impact the church, this church could make if the Holy Spirit was preeminent in our lives as individual Christians? Can you imagine that? I can't even fathom that. I think it would be, it would be astounding. I think we would speed the return of Christ in our lifetime. Because we would be giving of our resources. We would be giving of our time. We would be giving of our energies. We would be doing these things as the Spirit leads us instead of us leading ourselves. When we do that, God is not glorified and Christ's return is not speeded. You understand? So let me ask you again, is the Holy Spirit preeminent in your life? And if He's not, Why isn't he? Now think about that this week. Consider living a fully submitted life to the Holy Spirit's leading. If you do, I will guarantee your life will never be the same. I will guarantee that. I'm not saying it's going to be a downhill coast because that wouldn't be true. But I am saying this, hear me now, you're going to live wiser You're going to experience far more victory than defeat over sin. You're going to live much bolder. People will know you're a Christian by your fruit. Plus, you're going to make a a greater impact for God's kingdom. Let me ask you this. This is the last question, I promise. (laughs) Isn't that the kind of Christian that we we should be? Isn't that what this faith is all about? Let's pray. 
Our Father, we thank you for this word. It's a hard